Hey, inside the Mix Podcast fans, it's Ruddy, the founder of music project Empty Mailbox. Follow me or find out more on Spotify and Apple Music. That's fun track Intention by Empty Mailbox. You're listening to the Inside the Mix Podcast. Here's your host, Mark Matthews. Hello and welcome to the Inside the Mix Podcast. I'm Mark Matthews, your host, musician, producer and mix and mastering engineer. You've come to the right place if you want to know more about your favorite synth music artists, music engineering and production, songwriting, and the music industry. I've been writing, producing, mixing, and mastering music for over 15 years, and I want to share what I've learned with you. Hey, folks, and welcome back to the Inside the Mix podcast. If you are a new Inside the Mix podcast listener, welcome, and don't forget to hit that subscribe button. And if you are a returning listener, welcome back. Now, in this episode, I'm very excited to welcome my guest today, my friend here, Jonathan Guzman, a.k.a. Now, pronounce this correctly, Aaliyah. I should have asked this off air. Is it earlier or Aaliyah? How how are we pronouncing that? I would probably say Aaliyah. Um, Aaliyah. That sounds about right. I I think there's multiple ways, but honestly, it doesn't matter to me, man. (laughs) Aaliyah. Aaliyah. Yeah, it's coming out with my British accent now. It doesn't sound as good. It sounds great, dude. It sounds like Depeche Mode. Depeche Mode. I mean, shit, it should be gold with that accent now. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. It has its perks, but sometimes when it comes to pronouncing pronouncing slightly um, different names it's uh it falls yeah. short a bit so we've got a producer producer you mentioned depeche mode so you're a depeche mode fan which is amazing. Oh, huge fan of 80s music and metal as well um oh, yeah. which always always i chat to so many people on the podcast in, on instagram in particular and uh, dms and metal always comes into the conversation because i yeah i somehow get it in there so me being a big metal head it comes out i was listening to um i've been on a rick rubin binge and i was listening to the slayer albums that he produced earlier um, oh yeah yeah, totally, totally digging into that. Um, so you're here today, I'm digressing, for a producer kickstart strategy session. So this is the third now, third one of these, um, and they're proven really, really popular. So how, how are you today and um, where are you joining us from? Oh, I'm good, man. Thanks for asking. I'm from uh, L.A. and uh, yeah, Los Angeles, California, dude, born and raised. So just nice, mate. out here. <laughs> just nice. like every other struggling musician right <laughs> from la <laughs> <laughs> did you move to oh no you said you were born and raised right so you didn't move there yeah. born and raised yeah yeah um i'm gonna do the clash of british thing here what's the weather like that now here the weather is 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 awful uh it's, it's pissing down with rain and it's windy what's it like where you oh, are man. it might be a bit later in the day was it earlier it might be earlier uh it's 11 yeah it's you yeah. know it's it's pretty early in the day um i think today it's kind of cloudy a bit but the weather has been kind of good i mean I, you know, I'm, I've been here all my life, so I don't, mm. I don't know if you've ever heard, but like once it goes down 74 degrees, you know, people in LA are freezing, right? Because it's always so sunny and warm. Yeah. Um, so today it's a bit cold, man. I think it's like, I think it's like 69 or 68 degrees. I don't know, but the, the weather's great. It's not raining. So I'm, I'm happy about that. I hate yeah, that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. You're talking Fahrenheit, aren't you? Now we do it in Celsius over oh. here and I'm trying to do a oh, conversion man, yeah. in my head. Yeah, that's right. And I, I think I think that does sound relatively warm. To be fair, um, yeah, I don't, yeah, we, we make it awkward. Excellent stuff. So, can you just tell our audience a little bit about you and sort of your musical journey to date? Then, um, sort of maybe a bit about what music you're producing and um, when you started. Okay, uh, about me. Well, big '80s fan, right? I've I've been raised on '80s music since like I could even remember hearing it. Depeche Mode, New Order, The Cure, all that stuff has always been played throughout the household. 
Um, I kind of dabbled in like heavy metal when I was in high school, you know, buddies that I met, you know, I always played guitar, you know, when I first got a guitar, I was playing personal Jesus and then like people around, but then also I actually got into Metallica actually. Um, my sister, uh, let me hear some, uh, Metallica. I think she let me hear, I think it was a one was the first song and I was just like, oh man, this is amazing. And you know, that just kind of took me down that rabbit hole of metal, met some guys in high school they threw some Pantera at me, the heavier stuff. And I was like, oh, man, like I've just been missing out on this. So um, that's like been the musical journey in regards to like influence. Um, <clears throat> so the stuff that I'm making now, I guess it's categorized as synthwave. Um, I honestly never even I didn't even hear I I didn't know synthwave existed, you know, until like I started making it. I was like, what? Like, I, I guess, you know, everyone always would tell me, hey, your music sounds like Depeche Mode. It's this and that. It sounds very synthwave. And I'm like, what the hell is synthwave? You know, <laughs> and a buddy of mine got into it. And um, so, yeah, I just like I guess that's what it would be categorized um, nowadays. Um, synthwave. Uh, geez. So I guess that's that's kind of what I've been doing. Um I don't purposely like sit down and think like, hey, let me make a synthwave song. It'll just kind of come out like that. It always, everyone just tells me, oh, it sounds like Depeche Mode. It sounds like this. And it's not a bad compliment. I mean, <laughs> to me, that's, that's cool, I guess. But um, but yeah, it's kind of been my journey right now, man. Just kind of making music. I've always been in and out of bands, um, you know, ever since I was 14. Um, it's just music has always been a part of my life and writing and stuff like that. And now with like, the tools that like Apple and just like technology kind of offers to be like this bedroom producer. It's just, it's great. It's like everyone can make music in their bedroom. Right. And I mean, of course, maybe not all of it can be like top quality, you know, you know, like studio (laughs) quality songs, but it's a lot better than it was what, 10 years ago for just like a normal person like myself. So yeah, I just got, what was it, Logic maybe about three years ago. Kind of, life kind of threw a wrench at me, so I wasn't able to really physically do anything with my hands for a moment. So I had to just, like, sit and just read and learn what compressors were, EQ and stuff like that. And then when I kind of got, you know, I'm not going to digress into what happened, but when I kind of got yeah, like yeah, my sure. mobility back and stuff like that, it was like, all right, let's go. <laughs> let's do yeah. it. So, so that's kind of where I'm at, man. I am just read a lot. And now I'm just in that place where it's like just struggling to get out of the mud. That yeah. That is what I tell everyone. Just like, how do you get rid of the mud? I hate it there. Like, it's mm-hmm. just it's it's terrible. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I've got that in my notes here because uh, thankfully you, you, you filled it out in the uh, the the pre sort of pre-production side of things um love pantera uh, i've got to say just oh, when you mentioned it there massive massive fan um oh, and yeah. yeah depeche mode so you say synthwave I've, i I listened to the song that you sent across um as part i'm listening to it today um okay. as part of it and it's, it's it's definitely like synth pop isn't it i would say it's like a darker side of synth pop um and i can definitely hear that 80s influence so this is a producer kickstart session. You mentioned there about mud. So you're talking about like low mid, uh, low frequencies. So what what is your biggest pain point as a producer right now? What is what is the thing that, for want of a better way of putting it, keeps you up at night? I think just being able to hear like what sounds good. I know it's kind of very mm. vague, but like, and it just has to do with the low end, I think. Like, 
You know, mm-hmm. I feel like I know all the skills, right? They say, oh, look in the 200 hertz and 400 hertz, stuff like mm-hmm. that. And like, it's just, I, I read and see so many videos everywhere. It's just, oh, this is where it's at. But it's like, I don't know exactly what it sounds like. Like anybody yeah. could tell me, hey, it's there. That doesn't mean anything to me. Like, give me an example of what it sounds like. And it could be so many different things, right? Based on what synth or kick, whatever it is. And it's like my, I think the the most difficulty I have is one, identifying it. And two, is just hearing it off of my studio monitors. And just, I guess, like monitors for that matter, just any monitors. Because I feel like anything coming directly from your DAW just sounds great. And then you go take it in the car and the car smacks you back into reality and says, now, man, go back in the room and start working again. You know, it's, you know, I I got into the point where it's like, all right, I'm just going to go sit in my car. It's nice outside. Let me just mix in my car. And I've done that numerous times and I did it multiple times for the track that you've heard. And, you know, I, I think I'll never be satisfied, right? You'll never reach perfection. And when I hear it, I just cringe sometimes the track that you heard because I could hear that. Like, it just doesn't, I don't have that top-notch quality. And I don't know if I'll ever get there. I know stuff like that is acquired throughout the years, but it's it's that mud, man. I, I can't hear it. <laughs> yeah, it's, so my, my initial thoughts were there. You mentioned studio monitors. So yeah. are, are you in the room you're in there for the audience uh, listening? We, you can watch this on YouTube. But are you mixing in the room that you're in at the moment? Oh, yeah. And it's oh, a very untreated room. That, so that I... was going to be my, my first thing. <laughs> so you can imagine, like, if you're mixing in an untreated room, it's like um, it's like having a, like, if you were to have a set of, some glasses and you put a color filter over them and it's going to be, or if you're painting and then you have a color filter and then you paint and then you remove that filter, it's not going to, it's not going to be, it's, what's the word? It's not going to represent. That's what I was looking for. It's not going to represent what you've got there. So the first thing you, you, it's it's really hard to do because finding a treated room, like if you're doing it in your in your spare room as well, it's quite hard to do. And you kind of like you've got to make the best of a less than adequate situation. So have you done anything with regards to like speaker placement and where they're positioned in the room? Uh, you know, I don't have much room to work with. I just, you know, they're right in front of me at an angle, mm-hmm. trying to create that whole little triangle effect. Triangle, that, you know. Yeah. Yep. How and far have you, how far, because I, I appreciate you've probably got them on the desk. Yeah, right in front of yeah. me. Um, and are they, how how far is the back from the wall? Oh, yeah, that's another thing. They're about, what, about like five inches from the wall? five inches so yeah. this is where it, i wish i could see it but so you've got them the how far if they're five inches from the wall behind how far are they from the wall to the left and right we'll be right back so i've got a hunch about a common struggle we all face mastering if you're an independent artist or music producer you've probably encountered the frustration of masters that just don't hit the mark right They lack balance and refuse to play nicely across different devices and environments. Ever found yourself wondering, why don't my masters sound like my references? Perhaps you've spent countless hours attempting to master your tracks only to be unsatisfied with the results. Maybe you've tried every Silver Bullet plugin or even dabbled in AI. Or perhaps you're already working with an engineer, but you're eager to explore different possibilities. Well, here's the solution you've been searching for, Synth Music Mastering. I'm offering a game-changing opportunity 
opportunity with a one-time free test master for a limited time. Picture elevating your music with my unwavering commitment to quality and a personalized touch that you just don't get with the big mastering studios. The best part, it won't cost you a penny. Just submit your finished mix and let's see how we can transform your music together. Don't let mastering be a mystery any longer. Say goodbye to the frustration and step into a world of sonic excellence. Grab your free test master now, click the link in the episode description, or head over to synthmusicmastering.com. Uh, from the right, it's about maybe a foot. And from the left, yeah. it's about maybe a good maybe three feet. Yeah. So my first thought here is this is I didn't I didn't think of going down this issue, uh, this route when we were when I was thinking of this off air. If you cannot get your monitors to be equidistant from the rear from the rear wall and the side, uh-huh. push them closer to the rear wall. If that makes sense. So that's one thing you could do. Right. Okay. And try uh, try that. Uh, with regards to the actual triangle that you have, uh-huh. did you measure the distance between yourself and the monitors? So the the distance between the left and right monitor is it equidistant from you to that monitor to the left and right? Does that make sense? Is it an equal equilateral triangle? That's probably a better way of putting it. Oh right, right. Yeah, of course not. <laughs> I did little treatment at all, man. I I just eyeballed it, worked with the best amount of space that I have, and I just yeah. slapped them there. <laughs> so that that's a that's another thing you could do. Um, okay. There's also a um, we'll get into the the mix side of things in a minute. There's another thing you can do as well, which is really cool. To find the best listening position in your room, you're quite lucky because I've got I've been I've been totally digging into acoustic treatments of late. So this is this, this you've caught me at the right time. Is okay, cool. to get one of your speakers, put uh-huh. it in the corner of the room, okay, and play a track. I can send you a couple tracks that are really good to do this, okay. and then you basically just move around the room until you get that perfect representation of low end, that where you get a really nice balance, and that is your listening position in the room. Wow. So you have okay, one speaker, yeah, just yeah. one speaker in the corner on the floor, and then just move around until you get until you until it, it all comes down to what you perceive to be the best now in terms of like the the frequency representation, and then that's right. your listening position, and then from there you can create your triangle. Now obviously you're going to be limited to where you can move, I imagine, in, yeah. in the room. Yeah. But those are just those are. I mean, when you listen back to the episode, those are like three tips, and I can actually I'll send you a link to this really really great youtube channel and this guy and and um because i followed this when i was treating uh my room a while back and um it's really really good so that's yeah that's regards to the treatment that just i mean it's it, it will go some way to negating those frequencies that you're referring to because as you say if you've got resonant frequencies of bass building up in the corner um and then you've got those resonant frequencies when you're mixing or you've got dips because yeah. what's then going to happen is when you're mixing with the with the monitors, you're boosting those frequencies because they're not present. But then when you go out to the car, that yeah. you've overemphasized them, and that's where you're hearing that that mud. Now, mud in itself right. is is kind of like um, what's the best way to describe it? I could like an aud- an audible noise would be like a, something yeah. like that. It's like an overbearing low, yeah, sort of sound, and it just. <laughs> Like a big mono sound. It's really hard to describe. Right. Um, right, right. Another reason why that could be as well is how you're treating the top end. Because if you if you haven't got much going on in the top end, then right. obviously the the you've got the Fletcher Munson curve, which is how you hear. Right. I'm fairly certain that's what it's called. I might be corrected right. on that. But basically, there's a curve to the human ear, and what you're most um, 
what the ear picks up most because there's certain frequencies it does. And if you haven't got any of that high end representation, then you're going to hear more of the lows. So once again, that could then come down to the room. But are you mixing? Are you referencing on headphones as well? I do, but um, you know, I, I as of late, I I just haven't. And I think one of the reasons is ear fatigue. I just you mm -hmm. know sometimes I put in a lot of hours and I just get caught up in the mix or just get caught up in writing and I just lose track. And by the next day, my ear is like ah, you know. So I try to avoid um headphones these days and yeah i think i read more like you know it's best to you know mix dirt with monitors rather than headphones i think when i get down to like really when i do a lot of automation or just like really really want to get very detailed stuff I, I'll, I'll slap them on but yeah i don't i don't mix with headphones too often anymore no, no that's <laughs> fine it's, it's one of those ones that are good for referencing low-end headphones obviously right. once again it all comes down to the headphones are going to have their own color as well so yeah, yeah. The, oh you're, yeah. Yeah, you're at the mercy of that. Um so you've got that. And then you've got with regards to the the mix itself of the low frequencies. Yeah. So listening to your music, uh -huh. there's uh, there's not a huge you don't have loads of stuff going on. Uh, correct me if I'm wrong. Okay. Um which which is a good thing because the more you have going on, the more frequencies you've got to juggle. And yeah. the the as as humans ourselves, when it comes to music, we can only really like pick out three things at a time and anything beyond that it probably just gets lost in the shuffle so when it comes to mixing low end do you when you're bringing in your you're going to start with your kick drum then you bring in your snares and then you bring in whatever else you make your toms hi-hats etc you bring all that in how are you treating those frequencies so if you've got your kick drum and you find out i don't know the fundamental frequencies is or you can see on a, on an EQ graph, you can see that it's peaking around um, 70, 80 hertz. And let's say that's your your fundamental frequency for that kick. When you then bring in the snare, are you using are you eliminating those frequencies from the snare? So are you using like a, a high cut filter? Yeah, high cut. Yeah, no. low cut. No, yeah, filter. a high, high pass, pass filter. Yeah, right. Again, run the I wrong know. Way. I get, of yeah. course, everyone gets confused with that, right? People call it the low cut filter, but it's really the high. Yeah, exactly. It's, that's right. You, you've got the you've got the low cut is a high pass, and the low pass is a high cut. It's like stage left, stage right when you're performing. Yeah, I, yeah, yeah. Even to this day, I'd always be like stage left, and I'd just be looking at the sound guy. Oh, you what? You mean me? You know? Um, yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm so throwing that you're doing on there. that. You're 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 rolling off those frequencies. Um, yeah, getting rid of those. Sometimes I'll kind of. Um... You know, I'll do a side chain on the uh, the snare with like maybe the bass frequency or something like just depends on what I want to have cut through more. Because if mm -hmm. I kind of give that snare that what like that 200 hertz kind of slight boost right there to give it that meat, you know, and then yeah. I have like a, a bass that's kind of, you know, occupying that same area. It just depends on what I want to have, you know, shine through. Yeah. But um, yeah, you, I utilize the whole. You're doing uh, the right things chain. then. Yeah, you, you, you're doing the right things then in that case. <laughs> that's that's what you should be doing. And the same with the hi-hat. You want to use the high-pass filter to, to get rid of any of that low-end low, low end rumble, rumble that's just not needed. And that's going to clean up the low-end. So you're doing that. You're doing all that right. Um, Let me ask you, when you talk about like cutting off like the low-end for like a hi-hat or something like that, how far do people actually go? Because I've seen ridiculous amounts where like they're cutting it all the way like up to like... I don't know, 800K and everything below that mm. is like gone, you know, but I always feel like when it's, when you do that, it's like, it's, it makes it even sharper. Like, I feel like I have very sensitive mm. hearing. So like when it comes to those high frequencies, if it doesn't have a little bit of that low end, like I can tell. 
And it's yeah. like, how much do people actually really do? Because I've seen so many misleading videos with like, oh, cut everything here. And it's like, really? <laughs> That's a, it's a very good point. It's a very good question as well, because with those videos, they'll just they'll just show you. They'll say um, it's like a, a cookie cutter way of EQing. And they'll say, this is how you should EQ a hi-hat. This is how you should EQ uh, a vocal. And you're like, well, one, that's not in context. You're just doing that in solo. So you don't know yeah. how that's going to sound in the rest of the mix. Uh, and so that's not going to work for everyone um, yeah. because timbres are different. Someone's voice is different to someone else's. You might have a different hi-hat. Um, so the, what, I'd, what I would recommend doing is, you might do this already, is to do it. make sure you do it in context. So have your high-pass filter and then have the mix playing and then just gradually bring it up, bring it up, bring it, mm. bring it up, bring it up right, until right. it starts to affect the sound of the hi-hat to the point whereby, like you mentioned there, it either sounds sharp or it loses its yeah, loses its tombral quality. That's the way. And then once you get there, then just back it off again to the left slightly. That makes sense? No, no, it does make sense. It makes a lot of sense. But it's just, you know, you see all these things on there and it's like, really? So do you really cut it that much? I know there's no like answer, you know, for everything. It's all Mm. you got to do. I hate to say it and it drives me nuts, but you got to use your ears. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) That's what what you'll get more often than not. Somebody will say that to you. Yeah. And it used to drive me nuts, man. I used to look online for like these answers, you know, like where I just need the answer and everyone just use your ears, just use your ears. And it's and I hate it, but it is the truth. You know, you, you get all the knowledge, you obtain the knowledge, you you digest it, you know all like the, the techniques and stuff. But at the end of the day, it's like just use your ears to see where it's going to work. And yeah, it's the reality. Yeah. But I just had to ask somebody like you, man, because I know you got you got, um, you know, a lot of skills. So it's like I just want to know you're in like, well, do you really cut it that far or what? So but no, no like I said, a good it's, it's a good <laughs> it's a good question to ask as well, because <clears throat> sometimes you might want those lower frequencies to be present. I mean, there, there yeah. might be something musical about them, or you might do some form of processing, and you're like, actually, that that sounds <clears> quite good. There's no rule that says you have to. It's the same with. I was chatting to someone the other day about bass, and I know in once again in the notes and the lead up to this, you mentioned about mid side EQ. Yeah, and oh, um, yeah. It, yeah, it was with regards to like bass frequencies. So let's say yeah. you have a synth bass, and inherently with a synth bass, you're going to have probably reverb and other bits and pieces from chorus and going on. And that immediately, that's going to go and sort of go out to yeah. the left and right, which isn't a bad thing. But what you could look at doing is maybe using sort of like mid-side EQ, highlighting or rather soloing those side frequencies. And then yeah. not necessarily use a high-pass filter, but maybe like a, a low shelf and just yeah. duck them by like four or five dB, but do it in context. And then okay. bring them down until you can't hear them, then just bring them up a touch, if that makes sense. And no, it does get, make sense, and that, that that will get rid of some of those side because that could be another reason why they might it might sound a bit. There, there's not much. Cl- you want if you want more clarity in the low end, that could be one of the reasons why you might not be getting it. It's possible. That's that's it's a good. Possible. I'm glad you brought that up because I actually I wanted to ask you that as well. When would be the appropriate time to utilize mid and side EQ? Is this something that's mm. done on individual tracks, or again, it's just kind of using your ears? Because I've seen. 
you know, people say, hey, leave it for the, the mastering stage. But it's like, well, I don't know, you know, maybe maybe I should try to cut some from the kick, you know, <laughs> and then I go and cut it. And then it's like, oh, man, it's too thin. You know, it's just yeah. it's wild. I don't really see too many videos of people actually utilizing mid and side EQ on individual tracks during the mix. I always see it towards the end, but it's like something I've been wanting to kind of dabble in, dabble in, it's, but I'm kind of scared. <laughs> it's, yeah, it's a good question again, because admittedly, I don't use it a massive amount. I might, the only time I really use it is like what I mentioned then. I might possibly use it. And in mastering sometimes. Yeah. Oh, blimey. In mastering sometimes I might use it, but I don't use it a massive amount. And um, it's a nice tool to have. I think if you want to save you, I don't know, if you have like a synth, synths are great for this because I remember when I was chatting to Adrian Hall about this and because synths are like man-made, they, there is no rule to what a synth should 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 sound like. Yeah. Which then, which then means you can go in and do what you want to it, really. Um, yeah. It's up to you. Obviously, you that want it to sound... That line stood out to me. Yeah, <laughs> you want it to sound relatively musical, but that's where mid-side EQ could come in quite handy because you could have something that's this huge stereo spread and then you could go and trial mid-side EQ and you could try like boosting, cutting the sides if you want to add a bit more sort of spatial awareness to the side of your mix. That's a good way of doing it. But if I mean my, my initial advice would be like if you've if you if you can't figure if you can't think of a reason to use it, then I just probably probably wouldn't. Okay. That makes sense. No, um, it makes sense. It's gotta have a purpose. Yeah, yeah. And I I think it can be quite easy to like think I've got, I don't know, um Pro Q three or Infinity mm -hmm. EQ, which has mid side and you think you have to use it. I don't know if Logic's got it. Has Logic got a mid side function in its EQ? Yeah, they do. It it's does, probably not it? as intuitive and like friendly as like <clears throat> what is it, Fab Filter? I did mm. a trial of the uh the Fab Filter uh Pro Q three, I think it was, and oh man, it was great. I loved it. And, yeah, uh, it is good. I'll probably get it eventually, but maybe maybe create another email and just, you know, kind of piggyback off that. <laughs> but yeah, absolutely, man. That EQ was a uh, it was top notch and it was it was nice, nice interface, very smooth. So but um, yeah, yeah, Logic has it. It's not as smooth and nice as Pro Q3, but it's there. I really like the Logic EQ um, and I know it's got Match EQ as well. So I, I flick between the, the linear phase EQ and Logic. Which okay. now some people might turn around and say that there, there are pros and cons to using linear phase, and it all comes uh -huh. down to um, aliasing and, and whatnot. And it's been a very long time since I've dug into the linear phases and FFT and stuff, so that's a, that's a whole nother ball game. Um, but I, I primar primarily use the Infinity EQ with the Slate Digital stuff, um, which is a nice EQ. Mm -hmm. But like I said, I think if you if you've got this far without using it. I can't really, I mean, apart from maybe treating, like I said, treating that low end, or if you've got yeah. synths and doing that, maybe a vocal, possibly, or if you've got a reverb bus, if you've got a reverb bus, mm -hmm. um, and then you might want to use the mid of the mid side EQ to dip some frequencies in in your reverb that might compete with other instruments, if that makes sense. So no, it if does. you've no, got... I'd never thought about doing mid-side EQ on the reverb bus. I didn't think about that one, so I might have yeah, to try that one next. <laughs> it's it's a good one because also with reverb, uh, I mean, if you have an EQ anyway, because you probably, if you have multiple reverbs in your setup, it's going to build. You're going to get reverb on top of reverb on top of reverb. Yeah. I don't know how your setup looks. And then what happens is you've just, that can be another reason why you get that sort of sort of sound. 
Yeah. But if you're using high and low cut filters, you can eliminate those rumbling frequencies. And then you could use mid side to duck out certain frequencies. Maybe if you want your vocal to poke through a bit more and you know your your vocal sits, the presence of your vocals like three or four K, depending on if it's male or female, you could use mid side EQ and you could duck out some mid of your EQ, of your reverb just right, so your right. vocal stands out a bit more from the reverb. Does that make sense? I hope it does. No, it does make sense. And I'm picturing it right now. And I just, I did not, I, you know, I should have used that on that track that you heard, you know, mm. maybe cutting out a little bit of the uh, the mid inside and just kind of ducking it, like you said. Yeah, I didn't think about that. I'd have to be yeah. utilized on the next track, so. I think I think with that, it's a lot easier if you've got a track in front of you. And like you say, if, you, if you're trying, if you've got an issue, if you've got a problem that you're trying to solve, then I think mid-side EQ is a great thing it's a lot easier to come up with a reason to use it yeah. rather than it's quite easy to have all these tools around you and think, ah, I need uh, EQ, mid-side EQ. I must use it because I have it sort of thing. You yeah, know? It's yeah, quite yeah, easy. yeah. It's like, it's like with Isotope. Isotope is fantastic and I love it. And you've got all these modules in Isotope and it yeah. can be quite easy to think, I've got all these modules, I need to use them. Um, but you don't. You don't need to use yeah, them. Yeah, I think yeah. I had that conversation with, with um, Brian from The Color Theory. In a, and that's a, an episode that's going to come out in a couple of weeks. And he's and he pretty much said the exact same thing. Um, I feel like I've heard that yeah. in Color Theory. I, I very think. good. He's a very, very talented. He's a mastering engineer. And uh, yeah. he also releases music. Very talented man. And he's on the podcast in a couple. Yeah, I feel like I've it, heard It's already that. recorded, but the episode's okay. going to be in a couple of weeks. It's really, really good. Right on. Um, Can I ask you one more before we yeah, run of out of time? So Compression. You know, mm-hmm. I just started dabbling, you know, again, I'm, I'm still kind of very new to this. I've, you know, have the knowledge and now I'm like finally applying it. And that particular song that I showed you, I finally utilized like uh, bussing, uh, grouping and, and bussing like the kick and the bass together and compressing it. So you see other tracks that I've done, you know, I, I don't think I've shown you, but no, I haven't shown you. I don't know why I said that, but I haven't shown you. I, I didn't use utilize any of that. I didn't group yeah. anything. I didn't compress nothing. This one, I'm just like, you know, I, there's a reason why people do this. Let's let's go through the process. It's going to be a pain, but let's figure it out and do it. And I heard the difference big time, you know, but like how much do people actually compress? Like, I mean, just even before they even do like a group bus or anything, like, you know, I always start very slow and very like, you know, the compression ratio and all that stuff. I just do a very small amount. Like I think, um, you know, I did a trial. <laughs> Everything's a trial for me. I did a trial of what no, was it? Oz- <laughs> ozone and like, um, you know, I utilize their, uh, what is it? The, like the multi-band compressor thing. I, I don't know what they call it. I think they call it like dynamic something. Dynamic or... compressor. Yeah. It's, it's something so like, like that. Was... It's not, it might just be called dynamics. Dynamics yes. module or something. Yeah, but I know I think, yeah, you're yeah. right. You're right. Yeah. So I, you know, I, I set the bands on the, uh, you know, the low end. I think I set one band from like, I think like 170 and down, and then the other band was like from 170 to like I don't know 400 or, or something weird like that. But you know, I started compressing it, and I think I, I think I did the, uh, is it the ratio. Yep. Or actually the threshold. I see. I, no, it's the threshold. Actually, I set it all the way. I think I set it to like barely 17 dB or, or 18, like negative 17, negative 18. Like it, I very, I do it very lightly. You know, I don't know how much people actually do. Like I've seen videos where they like slam it to like negative 31 dB. And I think the, the, the ratio is like two to one or three to one. But it's like, 
you know, I, I really have no idea how much to really slam it. And what sounds good to me, I don't know. It sounds great to me. Yeah. And then later it sounds muddy. I don't know what I'm doing wrong or any pointers on that one. <laughs> yeah, of course. Yeah. Compression is probably one of the hardest ones to hear when you start using it. Like if you've never used it before. Uh, what you've mentioned there is when you've got someone or someone is using a really low threshold, so just like minus 30 threshold with a sort of two to one or one to five, no, one to five, two to one, get it around the right way, one to two, two to one uh, ratio, um, they're basically catching peaks. That's what they're doing there is. So okay. if, you've got a, if you've got a track and they're using that to catch peaks, uh-huh. so it could be like a snare or, yeah. or, or a vocal. It might be the first compressor in a vocal chain. Use, it might be like an FET where they have a really fast attack uh-huh. and it's just it's just clamping down on those peaks. Okay. And then it might use another compressor after that, like an opto compressor, which has a slower attack time. And that's used for like color. And that compressor has a slower attack, probably a slower, slower release again. And that's just used to add color to the track. So that's what's happening there. Um, with regards to how you'd set it up, it really depends on what you want to do. For the, There are many sort of, reasons for example with the kick drum Mm -hmm. it all depends as well on the track if you're recording like acoustic drums Mm -hmm. then you're going to have dynamics and you're going to want to compress but if you're programming your drums using midi um then there's probably going to be less need for you to compress to catch peaks because you can control that in the programming does that make sense no it does and then you could just use like compression for color and and like sound for example you could use something like parallel compression i don't know if you've used that before it's also called like new york compression way yeah, back when. yeah i just um, used it in that one song for the first time did you yeah <laughs> so that's really good for adding like attack to a kick yeah. and giving it more body because you've got a fast attack and a relatively fast release and you're really clamping down on it and you've got a lot of gain reduction and then with that gain reduction you then need to compensate using your um by increasing the gain on the output and then you blend it in. That's the idea with that anyway. For example, that's one way you would use compression. Mm-hmm. It really depends on the track. Um, I'm quite old school in the way I approach it. In that, for example, if I have a vocal that's quite dynamic, the first thing I do is I go in and automate the gain on that vocal before I even touch a compressor. The idea being it then takes the load off of the compressor. And also, if you're recording the vocal and you're there with the person, I'd be like, no, do you just want to sing that again just so you can, yeah. so it's not so wild. But it's not just vocals, it's other instruments as well. If you've got a, quite a high dynamic range, then I would recommend automating the gain of that first before using a compressor. That, does that make sense? No, it does. It yeah. makes it longer. It makes it longer, yeah. but it takes the load off of the compressor. It, makes, it means you have, the compressor has to do less. Uh-huh. Because obviously with compression, you're reducing dynamic range, as you are really, I guess, with, with the clip gain automation. Um, but how you should start, so the other question with regards to gain reduction and how much you should be applying. Um, and that that really is all down to the sound itself and how you want it to sound. So right. with like a snare, um, I, I mean, as a rule of thumb, I would usually start with like, I always go for like two or three dB of gain reduction and then right. tweak it from there. I don't like to use loads because I like I like it to be quite dynamic in yeah. the way I do things. Yeah. Um, and that's only if I've, if I have programmed that snare myself, I won't use compression to control dynamics. I'll just use compression for color and to add color to it. So that might be using something like an LA2A 
emulation. Like loads, there are loads like that, like the CLA uh, range as well. And then uh, I know Waves have got a few. And I'll just use that just to add color to the track. And with that there, with a lot of those compressors, you'll just have like, um, you've got the gain input and then the output. And the more yeah. input you put in, the more it's going to clamp down on it. And then you've got to compensate with the gain output. Um, but it might not totally answer your question. It's a hard one to do. It'd be a lot easier if you had a track there and I could say, yeah, you yeah, could do yeah. this, this, and this, you know? <laughs> um, but generally what I would do is say is, um, if you've got a wildly dynamic track, look yeah. at clip, clip gain automation first before using a compressor and then compress. Okay. When you're setting your compressor, if you are trying to catch peaks, then yes, have quite a low, low or high threshold. I always get those around the wrong way as well. But oh, yeah, yeah. have a low ratio, so like 1.5 or 2 um, on that. Because if you have any higher, then you're just going to slam it. The right. reason why you'd have a higher ratio, then you're moving into the realm of limiting. Got it. If that makes sense. When you have a higher one. Because you can imagine a graph, once again, on YouTube, if you're watching this, you'll see. You've got, because you could get around the right way. It'd be like that to begin with. With limiting, right. basically anything above my arm, and it's going to be like that. It's going to slap it down. And that's right. what essentially is happening when you increase that ratio. Um, but yeah, I would I would start with that. With gain reduction itself, 2 or 3dB, and then work from that. It all really depends on how, how dynamic the track is. And yeah. don't don't... Don't feel like you need to compress everything. Right, right. other thing as right. well. Because it's quite yeah. easy to think, oh, every track needs compression in EQ. I just want to compress the, the mud, man. That's all. Yeah. Just get rid of the mud. But that's another thing. <laughs> too, much comp- too much compression can, can sometimes bring that in as well. Oh, um, man. You, ma- <laughs> you mentioned no multiband. <laughs> <laughs> you mentioned multiband compression as well. Yeah. Um, I, I, I would be... Multiband compression is great, but um, I, w- I would just be wary of multi of using multi are you using it on the whole mix or are you using it on like an individual instrument um do both i guess it just depends on you know what it is like i like like i said lately i've been like grouping the uh the kick and the bass and like another instrument that i feel has like a lot of that low end so i'll group it and then i'll do like a multi-band on the three and like just kind of compress them just to kind of get them a little leveled yeah. not, not so leveled but just kind of I guess, like you said, like I do a very light compression to get the peaks, yeah. and like in my mind, you know, in my because I can't really, I mean, I can kind of hear it, but I can't really hear it. Maybe compared to somebody who's been doing this for years, but like in my mind, I'm imagining these things jumping all around, and I'm just doing this compressor to just kind of level it out. Like I'm just working visually. I mean, I can hear, yeah. but like I'm just imagining that's what's happening, you know. And I, I'm imagining it can't make it any worse if I'm doing a little bit, but yeah, now it's like, well, maybe it can. <laughs> Um, you're doing the right thing with the mix, the mix bus one though, and the instrument group in that you're doing it lightly because there, what you're doing is you're adding the air quote glue, you know, Ooh, yeah. the classic glue, That's um, right. which is like a low ratio, and it's just like a probably a, a medium to the slow attack, and once again like a mediumish release, yeah. just letting it breathe, but at the same time just just trimming any peaks and just bringing that that lower level up slightly. So that's what you're doing there, which is right, which is the right thing to do. Um, but correct, all I can say with compression is just keep keep working at it because it will eventually yeah. it will click and then you'll hear it. Um, yeah, yeah. Just up until that point, just don't overdo it. <laughs> it would be my bit of advice. Just don't overdo it. And um, right. Yeah, it's, 
it's it's a tricky it's a tricky like I said without seeing the track it's it's hard to say I would my my rule another good thing to do as well is I I've, I've mentioned this to someone the other day with regards to setting a compressor a really good way to do it is to is to have the the lowest threshold that you can get so everything's triggering it right. and then have the highest ratio crank the gain don't do it so much that it obviously hurts your ears and then have the attack all the way slow then have the release all the way fast and it will sound horrific okay and then gradually dial back the attack until it starts to dull the sound and then move it so imagine you're you're dialing it back you're dialing it back your hit starts to dull the sound and then dial it back the other way slightly do the same with the release so slightly increase the release time until it starts to dull the sound and then dial it back again slightly again and there what you've done there is you've you've set your attack and release sort of foundation Right. for that instrument then turn the gain down because it's going to sound horrific turn the gain down and then set your ratio to i don't know put it like three three to one four to one and then just bring the threshold back so you're getting like two or three db of gain reduction and what you've done there is you've set yourself up with like the foundations of the compression for that sound does that make sense and then you can tweak it from there yeah. There's a lot there that I've said. So what I would say is, is listen back to the podcast. That's what I was going to say. Good it, thing I can go back. I can rewind. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> listen, listen back to it. Um, yeah. Because, because I, I still do this now. And it's a really good, if, I, if I'm unsure and I'm thinking, right, I, I really want to make sure this attack and release is right, um, then do that. And it, it's a really good way to start. I can't remember who I got that from. I'm, I'm fairly certain it was Bobby Ozinski. I think it was. Uh, but it's a really good way to start. Yeah, no, absolutely, man. Good stuff right there. Luckily, I can go no, back. That more more than happy, more than happy to help out. I hope I've answered some questions there. No, you did, um, man. Always fantastic. So my, my my final one for you is then sort of like off the back of what we discussed today. What would be the first sort of actionable step that you'll take forward in the next sort of twenty four forty eight hours? What would be the first thing you do? Oh, dude, the room treatment, man. I got to clean this room. <laughs> <laughs> I got to clean it up. I got to try to reposition these things because, you know, I've, I've read it. I've, I've heard it. Not heard it, but I've I heard it in different videos, just the whole placement and all that stuff. I just I have to look into it more, man. And I need to try to see how I can do it, do something about it. You know, so that's probably going to be my next step is to see how nice. I can adjust these monitors and, you know, see, you know, the appropriate position where I could sit. Where it'll kind of you know like you said would be the best you know mm-hmm. i guess audible, audible audible like position to be in yeah that could benefit you know the whole listening experience and stuff like that so i think that's probably going to be the biggest takeaway not the biggest takeaway everything is great but that's the one thing i'm probably going to do you Fantastic. know over the next few days so i will send you a link um to the to the youtube channel i mentioned and i'll send you yeah. a link to his his it's a free course <clears throat> And sign up for it because it is fantastic. And if you follow the steps in there, it is, it is brilliant. It is, it is so good. And I'll send that to you. Um, so, Elia, uh, where can our audience find you online if they want to listen to your music or follow you in general? Where can they find oh, you? I mean, I'm on Instagram, you know, Spotify, stuff like that. Jeez, I don't even know my Instagram name. <laughs> oh, it's actually underscore, underscore, Elia, underscore, underscore, right? So, cool. yeah, you can find me on there. Ace. Yeah, I'm around, I'll, so. I'll put that in the show notes as well um, so the audience can go check out the, uh, the the song we've been referring to as well which is quite good oh thanks man appreciate it no no my pleasure thanks for joining me today um, yeah dude folks if you want to be like my friend here uh, Jonathan Elia and become a production production audit I don't know what that is a, a producer Kickstarter 
producer kickstart session participant. There we go. Head over to the website, www.insidethemixpodcast.podia.com and uh, get signed up and join me on the show and we can have a chat just like we've done today and I may or may not be able to give you some advice. Um, but we'll, we'll see what happens. At the very least, you can come on the show. You can give yourself a shout out, which is always good fun. Um, yeah, Jonathan, LA, thanks for joining me today. It's been an absolute pleasure and it's uh, great to chat thanks, with you man. in person. Uh, we've been chatting uh, on Instagram oh, yeah, for a while. Absolutely, so dude. It's cool. Been chopping it it's up cool. with you a few times, so it's always fun, man. Thank you, man. I appreciate you giving me the opportunity and just like helping me out, man. And you're just you're cool, man. You're a cool guy. I appreciate what you're doing. <laughs> no, uh, man, what you're doing is really nice, it's really you. cool, man. Because you know people search for stuff like this, and you know it's a good thing. It's it's great. So keep it up, man. Amazing. Thanks again. I appreciate I it. I appreciate that. Thank you very much. I'll speak to you soon, buddy. Whoa! Before you go, make sure to snag your free test master from Synth Music Mastering. Imagine enhancing your music with my steadfast dedication to quality and that personalized touch. And here's the kicker, it's absolutely free, no cost at all. Simply head over to synthmusicmastering.com or click the link in the episode description to claim your free test master.